the relationships that are closest to you matter most. One day, somebody else is going to sit in the leadership chair that I sit in, that you sit in, that every one of your listeners is sitting in. One day, somebody else's name is going to be on the door. Then what? What about those relationships closest to you? Are they still going to be there? Or did you sacrifice them on the altar of success? Did you sacrifice them on the altar of one more quarter's KPIs? Just got to get to the end of this year. Then I'll then I'll be able to focus on those relationships. I think part of what it means to be a catalytic leader is to choose to be family focused. By that, I mean to focus on the relationships that matter most. In her book, Conversational Intelligence, Judith Glasser wrote, to get to the next level of greatness depends on the quality of our culture, which depends on the quality of our relationships, which depends on the quality of our conversations. Everything happens through conversations. Welcome to Conversations, powered by Quantivos. Welcome to Conversations Powered by Quantivos. I am your host, Brian Gorman, and my guest today is William Attaway, author of Catalytic Leadership, 12 Keys to Becoming an Intentional Leader Who Makes a Difference. Welcome, William. Brian, thank you so much for having me. It's an honor to be on your show. Thank you. William, I'm going to begin by sort of listing the 12 keys, and I know, having read the book, we could spend probably 12 hours or more discussing (laughs) them. So we're just going to dive into a few of them um, today. But the 12 keys that you write about in the book are, first of all, a coachable spirit, discovering how you are designed and wired to lead, active pursuit of intentional growth, be boldly oriented, Choose to be family-focused, evaluate ruthlessly, aspire for proper productivity, build up people and teams, never stop leading change, prioritize clear communication, develop other leaders, finally lead yourself well. I think all of those are such important points for anyone who is trying to lead in today's very different work environment than it was just a few years ago. I'd like to start with aspire for proper productivity because as soon as I read that particular sentence, one word jumped out to me, which is proper. So often leaders are aspiring for high productivity. I think, Brian, it's important to, as I think back over my own story, it's important to define that word proper. When I first stepped into a senior leadership role, I was immediately overwhelmed with what all needed to be done. The number of tasks, the number of relationships, the direct reports, and all the things that they're responsible for. And this was not a small undertaking. And I began to look for ways to become more efficient, more productive, uh, and discovered a number of different tools that have been incredibly helpful to me over these decades. But it's important to use that word proper Because I think that one of the lessons that I learned and that I've seen so many of my clients that I work with today that they are navigating 
is you can begin to hold up productivity or efficiency as the panacea, the cure-all. And if I can just find one more hack, one more shortcut, one more tool that will help me to get a little bit more done, a little bit more done, a little bit more done more effectively, more efficiently, if I could just be a little more productive, then all of a sudden everything would be good, everything is up and to the right, and I'll never have another bad day again. <laughs> I mean, that's a cute myth right there, but that's just not so. Understanding proper productivity is understanding what your constraints are, understanding what you have the capacity to do based on your gifts, your skills, your passions, your engagement, your background, your baggage, all the things that make up who you are. What does productivity look like in this environment that you're in? What are the constraints that you have in the role that you're in? I don't know any roles that have full unlimited power and authority with unlimited resources. So what does it look like to be properly productive? It, it, it's taking all of that into account and taking a, a picture of the entire field and saying, okay, given what I cannot change and understanding that, accepting that, now let's look at what I do have control over and let's make sure I'm being as efficient and effective and productive as I can be. But it's understanding the entire field, including what you don't have full control over. I'm actually the co-holder of the U.S. trademark on four-day work week. Wow. And clearly productivity is at the key of reducing the number of hours we're at work while maintaining the same or, or improving results. So much of what you're talking about comes into play there. It's, it's about letting go of what it is that we're doing that really isn't contributing to moving the organization forward. That's right. So many of us spend our time busy, right? We're, we have no lack of things to do, but are we doing the right things? Are we spending our time doing the things that only we can do, that we do best? Are we operating in our strength zone? Or are we doing things that we really should be delegating so that we have the margin to do what only we can do? I know I've worked with so many clients who talk about how many meetings they're in. <laughs> like it's a badge of honor. Right? <laughs> None of them are wearing it happily. And I remember one client really being very intentional about saying, I can let go of these meetings. I can delegate those meetings. But then there are two or three lined up behind them. And my response was, if you're going to this particular meeting, because of those two or three or four, it's the most important. If you can let that one go, there's no reason yeah. to backfill it with another. <laughs> I want to move on to another of your keys that really jumped out at me because it's not something you typically hear the role of leader addressing, which is choose to be family focused. That one again comes out of, of my own journey and as well as the experience of coaching hundreds of leaders over the last 20 plus years. I have watched time and time again in my own life and in the lives of other leaders what happens when we prioritize our time in the wrong way. I work as a, as a leadership and executive coach and I help leaders, entrepreneurial leaders, business leaders, C-suite leaders, educational leaders, military leaders, but I also work as the lead pastor of a local church, and I've been doing that for over 25 years now. And in virtue of that role, what I have discovered is that as I have spent time with people at the end of their lives, I have never once heard anyone say, 
you know, if I only could have spent more time at the office, and if only I could have could have hit the KPIs one more quarter, if only, if only I could have gotten that award or that recognition or that honor. I had never once heard anybody say that. You know what I hear from people at the end of their lives? I hear regrets around relationships. I hear regrets around relationships that, with the people that they're the closest to. I hear regrets around conversations that never happened, fences that were never mended. And I think we can learn from that. I have sought to learn from that in my own life. The relationships that are closest to you matter most. One day, somebody else is going to sit in the leadership chair that I sit in, that you sit in, that every one of your listeners is sitting in. One day, somebody else's name is going to be on the door. Then what? What about those relationships closest to you? Are they still going to be there? Or did you sacrifice them on the altar of success? Did you sacrifice them on the altar of one more quarter's KPIs? Just got to get to the end of this year. Then I'll I'll be able to focus on those relationships. I think part of what it means to be a catalytic leader is to choose to be family focused. By that, I mean to focus on the relationships that matter most. I often get pushback on that. People say, well, if I make that choice, I'll be living out of my car in no time. I'm not at all suggesting that you be irresponsible with what has been entrusted to you in your leadership. But I am suggesting strongly that you remember what matters most and that you prioritize your time accordingly. I think that particular key really jumps out to me and and for a number of reasons, one of which is what COVID, impact of COVID on the business world Mm -hmm. has taught During that time when everyone was working from home who could perform their, their roles from home, people learned how to blend their lives, not balance them, Right. But blend them to weave into the daily routine, the caring for an aging parent or the getting the kids to school on, on the tablet or running the errands and still meeting the expectations of the workplace. And one of the things that we know has been a key force in driving the great resignation is I don't want to spend three or four hours a day commuting. I know what it's like to go to the volleyball game that my daughter's in or the football game that my son's in that I've missed all these years and I'm not ready to give them back. So that message of being family focused, as you're saying, ensuring that, yes, you're meeting the accountability that you as a leader and and you as a person following have in the workplace and maintaining and really strengthening those relationships that matter most. Discover how you are designed and wired to lead. Could you share with us what you mean by that and why it's so important? I think, Brian, when we, when we start out as leaders, all of us uh, have a tendency to copy people that we admire, people that we respect, people that we've worked for or that we've admired from afar, and we tend to copy them, how they lead, uh, sometimes even how they talk and how they dress. And that's normal at the beginning because you're trying to set your own pattern. You're trying to determine your own methodology of leadership. The problem is when you stay there because eventually what happens is you become a bad copy of a great leader. I think there's a better way. What I talk about and what I teach is discovering how you are wired as a leader. There are so many assessments, so many tools that can be helpful in understanding the pieces of the puzzle that are you. There is not one size fits all when it comes to leadership. 
too often there's this ideal that, well, a leader has to be an extrovert. A leader has to be the charismatic, out front, vision casting guy. Or a girl is just going to like pull everybody in and everybody rallies around them. That can be true. <laughs> but leadership doesn't have to look like that 100% of the time. And most often, by the way, doesn't. Many of the leaders that I know and that I work with are introverts. Is that okay? Can you be an introverted leader? Well, of course you can, but you have to lead authentically. And that's what discovering your wiring is all about. It's discovering how you are designed and wired and leading from that central place, not leading from what you think you should be or what you think other people think you should be. It's leading from who you are how you are wired. Now, first you have to understand your wiring and that's part of the process is is going through doing the work and understanding how you are wired. Once you have an understanding there that by the way, will continue to grow and develop over time. There's never a point where you say, I think I got it all figured out. No, it's always a learning process. Once you have that starting point though, and you say, I think this is the beginning framework, you begin to lead from that spot. That's not where you stop. Now you begin to discover how your direct reports are wired so you can help them to lead authentically and so that you can lead them more effectively. Discovering your wiring helps you to understand why when you say one thing, it makes a difference and why when you say something else, it doesn't. Why this action gets exactly the opposite response that you think it should, but taking this action that you never would have thought to take before will get you the results you want. It's all about understanding how you are wired, how you are designed and leading from that place. A little known piece of my history is that in late 1971, I received my draft notice Mm. and I ended up serving as a drill sergeant in the Air Force for four years. Oh my goodness. That is a stereotypical, traditional, top-down leadership role. For sure. I very quickly learned that I could do that role and I couldn't do it quite the way the stereotype said. And so it was really fascinating and I'll, I'll give you just one example where on weekends, I would teach my basic trainees how to use visioning to change how they were approaching difficult situations. Throughout the four years, the flights, which is what the, the groups of trainees were called that I worked with, were consistently top performers. And I was constantly criticized because although I was in regulation, if you got your hair cut shorter, if you shined your shoes more, you'd be a better leader. Mm. So it really demonstrated to me very early in my career as a leader that you need to make it fit you. Yeah. Discovering how you're wired really is a continuing growth opportunity. As you were saying that, what it brought, really brought to my mind was the whole concept of vertical development. The whole concept of maturing as a leader, not just learning skills, but developing mindset that's more and more mature. Absolutely agree. A coachable spirit. What is a coachable spirit? It's a choice. (laughs) And, And it's one that costs you absolutely nothing, Brian. You choose whether or not you will have a coachable or a teachable spirit. You choose that every single day. I choose that every single day. It's an understanding, it's a mindset that I can learn something from anybody or from any situation or any circumstance if I will choose to do so. I want to be the most teachable person in every room I walk into, in every conversation I'm in, in every meeting I'm in, because I can learn something from anybody or any circumstance or situation. Now, sometimes you're going to learn what not to do. 
That's okay. That can be incredibly valuable. But if you're teachable, if you walk in understanding, I don't know everything, that means you're going to listen more than you talk, right? It means you're going to listen more than you bloviate, which is important. And that's, a, that's something that I believe helps a leader to be catalytic, to make a difference. So William, this means as a leader, I'm not supposed to be the smartest person in the room. If you are the smartest person in the room as the leader, I believe that means you're in the wrong room. I believe we need to surround ourselves with people who are smarter than we are. I believe we need to surround ourselves with people that we are pouring into and investing in to help them to grow and develop to their potential. If we're just focused on how we want to shine, how we want to be the the most elevated and honored person in the room, we're doing leadership wrong. Lead yourself well. I think leading yourself is the is one of the hardest chapters in the book. It was one of the hardest to write because you are the hardest person you will ever lead. I had a counselor tell me one time, if you talked to other people the way you talk to yourself, you would have no friends. <laughs> and I think she was right. <laughs> you know, so often our self-talk, our self-leadership is in a way we would never, ever, ever use on anyone else. And that's why it matters so much. Because it's very difficult to give what you don't have. It's very difficult to lead from a place you've never been. You have to lead yourself well so that you can lead others well. So that you can lead them to a place where they can hit their potential and achieve the goals that they have. It starts with you, though. You have to begin with yourself. This is the disciplines that nobody likes to talk about but that are so important to your life as a leader. This is making sure you get adequate sleep. right? This is making sure that you're well-rested because this is true 100% of the time. If you're not well-rested, you make bad decisions. You make worse decisions than you do when you're well-rested. That's just the way that works. It has to do with the nutrition, how you eat, the food that you put into your body. This has to do with the time that you take for recreation. Are there times that you are intentionally setting aside to grow yourself intellectually, to challenge yourself mentally? Are you in a good, healthy place relationally with those around you? This is all part of leading yourself well because it all involves you. Not what you do, you. What I really like about that is the recognition that we are of one ourselves, that there isn't my role as a leader and then how I live the rest of my life. Um, (laughs) I often use the picture of those plates that we have at Thanksgiving where you have little partitions between your food. Right? I love those plates because I don't like my food to touch. Those are great illustrations for this because this is an idea we got from, I believe, the ancient Greeks. This idea that you can compartmentalize your life and that what happens in one part doesn't affect what happens in another part. And again, that's a cute myth. It's just not true. The fact is you are one. You're an integrated person, right? Every part touches every other part. That's where we get the idea of integrity from. You want to be a person of integrity. That means all the parts touch all the other parts. That means everything affects everything. That means how you lead yourself affects how you lead others. William, there are so many important messages in this book. What else would you like to share? The, the most important thing that I would share, Brian, and this is, this is the, the one core message that I talk about. If you hear nothing else, it's this. The choice to have a teachable spirit, to be coachable, is one that you can make every single day. It's one that I make every single day. It costs you nothing, but it will make such a tremendous difference in your life and in your leadership. It will affect every relationship. It will affect every direct report. It will affect everything you do, but you have to choose it. 
It's not just going to happen. You're not going to wake up one day and say, oh, oh, wow, I've got a teachable spirit. I don't know how that happened. I didn't mean for that to happen, but here it is. It doesn't work like that. You have to choose it. So my challenge for your listeners would be to make that choice, to make that determination. I'm going to have a teachable spirit today in every conversation, in every meeting, in every location. What can I learn? I'm going to listen more than I speak. Catalytic leadership, 12 keys to becoming an intentional leader who makes a difference. William Attaway, thank you so much for this conversation. Thank you so much, Brian. Truly, been an honor to be here. I've enjoyed this.